All right, Esther chapter 10. Esther chapter 10. It's hard to believe we're finishing up Esther this evening. Uh, this is going to be the last message in the series. I've enjoyed preaching through it and studying it and learning for myself. And I always um, enjoy seeing something that I've never noticed before and then being able to share that. And so I hope through this series you've learned some things about Esther and um, how the story of Esther applies to our life even today. Even somebody who lived uh, thousands of years ago, we might think, well, that has nothing to do with me. It doesn't apply to me. It doesn't affect me. Well, uh, there's a lot of lessons we can learn from the life of Esther and Mordecai, Haman and Ahasuerus. And so um, I hope you've learned some things through this series. But we're going to be finishing up the book of Esther this evening. And I want us to consider Mordecai's greatness. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is what makes a person great? And that's something that is defined quite differently by many people. But we see in this passage what makes Mordecai great. And we uh, close out this series considering the advancement of Mordecai and what brought him to that place. And so this story that we've been studying it has many characters in it. But as we've seen, God is truly the greatest one in this story, the uh, the one who's working behind the scenes. It's God who's the central focus of this story, um, not Esther. Uh, you know, Esther did many good things. God used Mordecai as well, but it's God who's um, orchestrating all of these events, as we've seen through this. We've seen his sovereignty. We've seen his providence. And um, one thing that's quite incredible to realize, if you do some studying, um, there are many Christians, especially in early church history, and during the Reformation, who didn't consider the book of Esther to be a part of the scripture. Uh, Martin Luther is a famous example of that. He, did, he rejected the book of Esther as being a part of the canon of scripture because it, didn't, uh, men, it doesn't mention God's name. And so he saw it more like an apocryphal book, but not a part of the canon of scripture. Um, but as we've studied this, I hope we've come to realize that even though God's name is not mentioned, truly he is the main uh, character. He's the, the, the main thrust of this story is to point us to God and his, uh, his providence, his care for us, his love for us, and how he is in control. And we can trust his hand and we don't have to live in fear. Esther and Mordecai lived in a time when um, fear was a great temptation, anxiety was a great uh, reality that they faced, but they could look to God for help in those times. And the same is true for us. We don't see God's uh, hand many times, but we know he's, uh, he's working in our lives. Uh, he's working all things together for good, the Bible says, to those who love him. And so as we finish out this book, uh, considering the greatness of Mordecai, I want us to be left considering God's greatness in our life and, uh, and also how we can learn from Mordecai's example. So let's look at Esther chapter 10. It's, uh, we're going to read the whole chapter, uh, all three verses. So Esther chapter 10, let's go ahead and start in verse 1. And the king Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea, and all the acts of his power and of his might, and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews. 
and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this night that you've given us. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to make our way through this book and all of the lessons we've learned along the way. And as we finish this series this evening, I pray, Lord, that we would be left uh, considering and realizing and understanding um, your love and your, uh, your sovereignty, your providence, Lord, how you care for us. And you've got a plan and we can trust you. And we don't have to live in fear in this life, Lord, we can live in faith. And so I pray that you'd help us to leave here, Lord, uh, not trusting in our own strength and our own wisdom and abilities, Lord, but trusting in you and your care for us and the plan that you have for our life. And so I ask, Lord, that you'd help us now to set aside any distracting thoughts we might have. And Lord, help us to focus on your word this evening. Lord, I ask that you'd help me to be emptied of self and filled with your spirit. And God, I pray that you would do what only you can do this evening, and that's to speak to our hearts. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want us to consider is worldly greatness. Uh, worldly greatness. We're given a description in verse 1 of what made Ahasuerus great in his time and in the world. And we began this series, if you remember, back in chapter 1. The book of Esther immediately opens with an explanation of Ahasuerus's greatness and the extent of his power. Do you remember how many provinces he ruled over? Can someone tell me how many provinces did Ahasuerus rule over? Some of the kids. Aben? Close, very close. No? Very good. 127 provinces were told that Ahasuerus uh, reigned over. And so we see here in verse 1 that his kingdom was not just on the mainland, but he also had some islands that he was in control of, the isles of the seas there in verse 1. So this man had great reach. He had great influence and power. He had a lot of resources at his disposal. And we see in verse 1, Ahasuerus, he lays a, a tribute uh, upon the land. A tribute is a, like a tax or a forced servitude. It's the emperor requiring either a tax or a service in favor of the empire. And so among these 127 provinces, let's say he needed so much cedar to build a building, and um, these 10 provinces had an abundant supply of cedar, and so he demands that um, everyone in this province, they work to cut down the cedar trees and deliver them to the work site. Uh, that's a, a type of um, this tribute. Uh, it's a forced servitude in service of the empire. It's also a, a tax to raise revenue. And so he, he sends this tribute uh, to, the, to the whole land, the, the whole empire. Um, and this is, uh, this is what makes him, him great in the world and in history. When you study history, you see that Ahasuerus, he, he was a great person, uh, in worldly terms. He had a lot of power and a lot of influence. And so this is what made him great. He, uh, he had the power to raise wealth because he inherited this power. It was not something he earned. He was born into this position um, as emperor. As emperor. Uh, but we've seen the greatness of Ahasuerus all through this. Um, we're reminded that he considers himself great. His word becomes law and you can't change it. There are many definitions in this world of what makes um, a person great. For the Persians, it was their financial greatness, it was their fame, it was their power. These things they considered to be great. And the more that you had, the greater you were considered to be. We saw that mindset with Haman 
um, a few chapters back when he was bragging to his wife, what did he brag about? He bragged about all of his money, all of his possessions, his posterity. Uh, he didn't brag about his character. Um, he wasn't bragging about how humble he was because he wasn't humble. Um, and so his greatness was not defined by his character, but by his things. And so for the Persians and even our world today, greatness is often defined by our things, our money, our fame, our power, um, our influence. But those are not what make a person uh, truly great, uh, eternally speaking or spiritually speaking. Haman's legacy, Haman's greatness is forgotten. Where is his wealth? Where are his possessions? Where are his belongings that he boasted about? They're gone. They're burned up. They're, uh, they're no longer uh, around. And so his greatness, the things that he was focused on and the things he considered the most important, they're no longer around. But Mordecai, as we've looked at the life of Mordecai, he was a humble man. He didn't seek his own wealth. He didn't seek his own favor or exaltation. He, he loved his people. He served them in humility. He trusted in God, and we've seen that. And he had a great legacy that um, impacted the Jewish people and, and saved them. And so uh, we see the definition, uh, the world's definition of greatness is, is things, is, is treasures, is uh, worldly riches. Jesus made it clear, though, what we ought to be living for in this life. And Mordecai gives us an example of that. He didn't seek his own wealth. Uh, again, he, he lived for his people. He wasn't selfish. Um, he did become wealthy. Uh, but that's not because he sought it out. God blessed him for his love for others. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And in Luke 14, 11, Jesus said this, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Christ exalts those who humble themselves. And, and we've seen that truth come to life in the example of Mordecai. It, it is God who has raised Mordecai up, this man who is relatively unknown and obscure. God has raised him to this position in the empire because of his humility. Uh, he didn't barge into the throne room demanding that Ahasuerus free his people. No, he trusted God in this process, and God answered his prayer. And that, we've seen that's what Haman did, though. He, he always was bragging about how great he was. He was always trying to assert himself and get the things he wanted, and it left him empty. As we consider the examples of Haman and, and uh, Mordecai and um, seeking either worldly greatness or uh, the things that God considers great. I wonder where, where are our hearts this evening? And the answer to that question of where is my heart is where is your treasure? Where are the things you value? Where do you spend the most time investing in? Uh, whether it's your time or your resources, your abilities, uh, the money that you have, where are you investing those things? If you want to answer the question of where is my heart, look at where your treasure is. That's what Jesus uh, told us. Where our treasure is, uh, is, is where our heart is at. And so have we been living our life for worldly treasures and worldly pleasures and worldly things? Or do we invest in eternity? Do we invest in the things of God? 
When we live our life investing in the spiritual growth of our church family by serving one another, caring for one another, fellowshipping with one another, that's an investment in eternity. When we live our life investing in the next generation, as we saw, I believe it was last week, uh, making sure the next generation knows the truth of God's Word. When we spend our time and we spend our energy and uh, we spend our talents investing in the next generation, we're laying up treasures in heaven. We're making an eternal investment, not a temporary investment. Uh, when, we, when we step out in faith and share the gospel with our coworkers or our neighbors, despite our fears, despite our anxieties, and we trust God to, to give us the words to say, to be a witness, we're making an eternal investment. And those investments don't disappear. They don't fade away. They don't corrupt. They, they don't get burned up. They last for eternity. What are you living for? Where are your treasures? What are you investing in? Do we want greatness in the world's eyes? There are many people who spend their whole life living to become great in the eyes of the world, only to die and be forgotten ten years later. Uh, are we living for greatness in the world's eyes? Or are we living uh, for greatness in God's eyes? And don't take me wrong when I say that. We uh, truly can't do anything to impress God, but we are called to live and serve with God. We're called co-laborers with Christ, and God wants to bless us, and God wants to, um, He wants to reward us for our faith and our service to Him. Uh, not necessarily with earthly riches, but God wants to give us greater riches than even earthly riches. But are we living for Him? Are we serving Him? Are we investing in the eternal? Being exalted by God and having humility is a far better pursuit than being exalted by man for a short time and seeing all of that go uh, to waste and burning up. And so um, we see this idea of worldly greatness. We can be like Ahasuerus. His empire is gone. His riches are gone. He's in the history books, but um, many people don't even know about him anymore. Uh, or it can be like Mordecai and not worry about living for man, but living for God and living for others and doing what God has called us to do. And we can, uh, we can live for the rewards that Christ has for us in eternity if we would decide to do that to have the right attitude, that we're living for heavenly treasures. And so we see worldly greatness first. Number two, I want us to see God's preservation in verse 2. God's preservation of His Word in verse 2. And all the acts of His power and of His might and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? Ahasuerus, he was more than happy to boast about his greatness. Uh, again, that book of Esther opens with a declaration of his greatness, and it closes with a declaration of his greatness. And we're told that the record of his greatness can be found in the books of uh, the, the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Media and Persia. And at the time of the writing of the book of Esther, that was true. But if you study history, Alexander the Great. Uh, conquered the Persians and wiped out their libraries, wiped out their records. And so we don't have the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia. We don't have the Persian uh, historical records today. They're lost to history uh, because of Alexander the Great. But what do we have? We have the book of Esther. We have the books of God's Word, and he's faithfully preserved them. Who cares about the greatness of Ahasuerus in, in eternity, eternally speaking? Those things don't matter, but God has preserved His Word for us and given us His truth. 
which is an eternal truth, and it's a truth that we need to know and we need to familiarize ourselves with uh, in order that we might know God. God has preserved His Word for us for the purpose that we can know Him and that others can know Him and that we can have a relationship with Him. God has uh, faithfully preserved His Word for us today, and uh, we can trust God's Word and, and know it's true. Um, men have tried to burn God's Word. Men have tried to change God's Word. Men have abandoned God's Word. Men have tried to add to God's Word, take away from God's Word, replace God's Word, twist God's Word. But we have faith that God has preserved His Word for us, and we have it today. We don't get to read about the greatness of Ahasuerus from the Persian Chronicles. But again, that doesn't matter. We're not living for Ahasuerus. We're living for God. And we have His Word, uh, His record of who He is. Uh, the question is, do you know the Creator? The Word of God tells us how we can know the Creator. Through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you've never been saved, your life is going to come to an end one day, and <clears throat> you're not going to have hope for an eternal future if you've not been saved. We'll all go somewhere when we die, uh, heaven or hell. Those are the only two options. Ahasuerus, he wasn't a believer. Um, and he had a great life here on this earth, worldly speaking, but in eternity he has nothing to show for it. He is not a believer. His, his life was lived and it was gone. And he has nothing to show for it in eternity. Sadly, many in America today live their whole life pursuing earthly riches and pleasures just like Ashuera's. And they live their life for the immediate. They don't consider their eternal state, their eternal state and where they'll go when they die. Jesus made it clear uh, for us as believers, we need to be laying up our treasures in heaven. For those who aren't saved, it starts with being saved and living for him. So who are you living for? If you have been saved, are you living for Christ? Are you living for eternity? Um, do, you, do you see death as the beginning of a new life with Christ? Or do you fear death because you don't know what's on the other side? If we've placed our faith in Christ, we know that when this life ends, it's the beginning of uh, a new life in, in, with Christ in heaven. And we don't have to fear death. And so if you haven't been saved, you can know today, you can know Christ as your Savior, and you can be confident that heaven is your home. But for those of us who are saved, your Creator has become your Father. Uh, he gave His life for us on the cross, and we've become His children if we've been saved. And as our Heavenly Father, He wants us to get to know Him. He wants us to spend time with Him. Um, he wants us to know about uh, the love that He has for us. But have you made it a point to get to know your Heavenly Father today? Have you made it a point to get to know Him more? If you don't spend time in the Word of God, if you don't spend time in the Bible, you're not going to know God like He wants you to know Him. He wants you to spend time in His Word. He wants you to know Him. We have a great privilege as English speakers. We have uh, God's Word. We have an abundant uh, supply of study materials to study God's Word. Um, we have more translations than we even know what to do with. And there are many people today who they have no, they don't even have a portion of Scripture in their language. They have no, they don't have the Word of God in their language. 
Um, we have a great privilege, but do we take advantage of God's word? Do we neglect it? According to the Wycliffe Global Alliance's Scripture Access Statistics, there are approximately 7,394 known languages in the world. Of those languages, there are only 736 of them have a translation of the entire Bible in their language. That means 10% of all languages have um, the full Word of God in their language. About 80% of all people have access to the Word of God. Of all the world languages, 1,658 of them only have the New Testament and perhaps some portions of the Old Testament. Of all world languages, 1,264 of them have some translated portion of the Bible. Maybe just a page, maybe a paragraph, maybe a couple of books, but only some of the Bible. According to this, their statistics, there are 1,268 world languages that have no Bible at all, no translation of God's Word, or even a portion of it. It's around 99.8 million people who don't have the Word of God. And that's just statistics for today. When you consider history, um, you know, uh, when you consider history and look at history, there have been people who have never had access to the full uh, Word of God like we do today. Did you know the disciples, they didn't have a bound copy of God's Word like we do in our lap. They had scrolls. They may have been able to access one book at a time. Um, some of the Bible wasn't written uh, until later. Uh, much of it, uh, some of the, the later books like Revelation and First and Second and Third John weren't completed until around the 90s. Uh, 90 AD, and so many didn't have uh, the full Word of God. We really take our Bibles for granted today in America, and uh, we misplace our Bible, we mishandle our Bibles, we neglect them. The other day I came into the office, and there was a Bible outside that was uh, sitting on the ground, and it was wet from the dew um, from the morning, and we don't think much about it. There's pews in every single Bible, or there's Bibles in every single pew here in the church, multiple Bibles. Some of us have Bibles that we keep here at church. We have one we keep in the car. We have one we keep at home, maybe five we keep at home. Um, we have to dust one off. Um, if we lose one, it's not that big of a deal. Meanwhile, some believers around the world have never had a chance to read the Bible. They would give their lives to have a page of the Bible. They would give their lives to be able to look at the Bible for just an hour. We take our Bibles for granted. God has preserved His Word for us today so that we can know Him, so that we can have a relationship with Him, so we can tell others about Him and they can have a relationship with Him. Do we love God's Word? Do we spend time in His Word? Do we even care to get to know Him daily by reading His Word? So we see God's preservation. Again, we don't have the, the records of the, the, the Persian Chronicles, but we have God's Word because He has preserved it for us so that we can know Him and so others can know Him. Number three, we see Mordecai's legacy. Mordecai's legacy. For Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. Mordecai was great among the Jews. He gained a reputation as a man who cared for the people. Uh, he became second in command in the kingdom of Persia. Only Ahasuerus was above him. And God has promoted him to this, uh, this position. And Ahasuerus loved Mordecai. Mordecai brought blessing to his empire. And Ahasuerus uh, appreciated his service. 
But I want us to notice two things about Mordecai, what he became known for. If Mordecai was running for president today, and he was on the ballot, and you turned on the news, and Mordecai was giving his platform policy, uh, his platform foundation, the, his goals for his presidential race. There's two things we see here um, that were important to him. First is that he sought the wealth of his people. He sought the wealth of his people. Mordecai wanted to make sure that his people, the Jewish people, and the entire kingdom, but uh, his focus was his people. He wanted to make sure they were prospering. Uh, he, they no longer had to live in persecution. They were given freedoms because Mordecai advocated for them. And so we ought to learn from Mordecai's example and live uh, to seek the blessing of others in our life and, and not live our life being selfish and focused only on our own gain. I think about the New Testament church. You read in the book of Acts and things that the New Testament church did. There were those who were in the church that had a need, and what did the church do? They didn't hoard their possessions. They gave. They gave to those that had a need. Uh, they sought the, the care and the blessings of others. Do we live that way? Do we live with the mindset that we, we ought to care for others and love others and give to those who have a need? Um, that ought to be our mindset, to, to seek the blessing, the prosperity of others and not be selfish and not be self-centered. So we can learn from the example of Mordecai uh, to have a care for others. So his first platform policy or goal is to, he sought the wealth of his people. Number two, he spoke peace to all his seed. He spoke peace to all his seed. Mordecai's seed there is referring to his descendants, um, but also the Jewish people as a whole. And the idea of speaking there is not just um, saying good things, but speaking to the king, speaking to Ahasuerus on their behalf. In other words, Mordecai became an advocate. He became a mediator to the king on behalf of the Jewish people. He became a delegate for them, if you will. He spoke uh, for the peace of the people, for the, for, for the, uh, the prosperity, for the tranquility of his people. Uh, he became an advocate for them. And in the example of Mordecai, I'm reminded of our mediator and our advocate who goes to the king on our behalf, who goes to his father and, and mediates for us on our behalf. Uh, Christ is our mediator. Christ is our advocate in this life. He's the great prince of peace. I'm thankful that as we live our life in this world, and this world is getting darker and darker, we see that when we turn on the news. I'm thankful we have a mediator who we can look to in those times for peace. We can look to him uh, for help. We know that our mediator, we know that Christ uh, will lead us by the hand through those trials and be with us. And he's given us a comforter to support us and, uh, and, and direct us through those times. When we face persecutions like the Jewish people did in this time, we have uh, a mediator. And we need to be reminded of that. Um, we, we have a father who is working all things together for good behind the scenes in our life. We can trust his hand. Do you have faith in your mediator this evening as you live this life? As you go through trials, as you go through hardships, as you go through persecution or ridicule, uh, are, are you reminded of, of your advocate and the, and the peace that he, he has for you? Uh, we can have peace through Christ, but not through this world, not through our own strength or our own abilities. Through Christ, we can have peace in this life. And so that's the book of Esther. Uh, I know I've mentioned it several times, but there are a few main themes 
that I hope we've seen through this study. First is that God is sovereign. He's in control. We can trust His hand. Um, when things seem out of control, we serve a God who's in control. And we have faith in Him as we live this life. We have faith in Him because He's providential, meaning He cares for us. And He is working behind the scenes for our good. And we can trust His hand. As we live for Christ in this world, we need to keep those two thoughts in mind. As we read the book of Esther, we should be reminded of those two thoughts, that we serve a God who's in control, and we can trust His hand, and we can trust His care for us. Uh, it, we, like the Jewish people who found themselves in the midst of this sinful and hostile territory, we find ourselves in this world that is often hostile to our worldview, to our faith, but... Just like the Jewish people, we have um, a mediator. We have a God who cares for us. And so I hope that Esther has been an encouragement to you that you have a Heavenly Father that you can trust. You don't have to live your life in fear and anxiety, worrying about tomorrow because you have a God who has a plan for your life and He's working that plan. Uh, even if you can't see it, you can trust His hand and know that He's in control. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for... Um, your word, Lord, I thank you for the example of Esther and Mordecai in this series as we've studied it. Uh, Lord, we're reminded of your goodness to us and your care for us and that you have a plan and that you're in control. And we don't have to live in fear, but we can trust you. So, Lord, I pray and, and trust that this uh, series has been a help, but especially this message this evening. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us not to take your word for granted. So many times we go through the day never thinking about your word or spending time in it. And, um, Lord, we don't, uh, we don't appreciate your word like we should. And so, Lord, I ask that if you've spoken to our hearts, that we would be obedient to you, that we would deal with you at the altar, and that we would leave here changed. Lord, that we would leave here seeking to know you and, and uh, continuing to walk with you in a relationship with you and leaving here trusting in you each day for our life. So, Lord, I pray that you would work in the invitation. Now I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. If God has spoken to your heart this evening uh, about trusting in Him, or perhaps you've been taking His word for granted, and you haven't been spending time with Him and getting to know Him, uh, and you, you don't uh, appreciate God's word like you should, if God has spoken to your heart, I would encourage you to deal with Him at the altar this evening.